Welcome to the NDA podcast. We're here to challenge topics the industry has been keeping under waiver for years. Unfiltered conversation with no fear of being cancelled. Bringing creatives of different levels, different backgrounds, and very different opinions together. Debating the issues we only dare discuss over our Twitter DMs. So get ready for some honesty, because we're about to break all the NDAs. Hello, everyone. So today's topic is something that I think only a fraction of us are aware of, and it often kind of goes undiscussed. But for those that it affects, there are much wider repercussions than I think anyone really realizes. So today we're going to be discussing what it's like to be working class in the creative industries. We're going to be talking about individual experiences and barriers. So welcome to NDA. This week's episode is Let the Working Class In. Got such a lovely bunch of people to talk today. I'm so excited. It's a really varied mix of creatives, all from working class backgrounds at different stages in their career. And of course, with very different journeys to get there. Lots to share. I'm really looking forward to hearing from them. So let's kick off with everyone introducing themselves, a little bit of context about you and the topic. Uh, if we start with you, Craig. Hello, um, my name's Craig Oldham. Thanks for having us on, by the way, Katie. Um, I'm creative director of Studio Office of Craig, uh, based in Manchester, and I'm also creative director of Rough Trade Books. And I grew up in a working class mining community in South Yorkshire uh, called Barnsley. I'm Verity. I'm a senior designer. I live in the Cotswolds now, but I grew up in Halifax. Hi, I'm Charlotte. I'm a junior digital designer and I'm from Birmingham. Hi, I am Lisa. I am a planner and strategist at um, Wavemaker North and co-founder of the network Common People. And I grew up not too far from you, Craig, in a, a little town called Wakefield. Part of the rhubarb triangle, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Katie Cadwell. My pronouns are she, her. I am the host. Full disclosure, I am also from a working class background. I am way further south than everyone else, though. Um, as usual for this and all future episodes, I am going to be neutral throughout. So I think it makes sense to kick off with some stats so we kind of understand the, the problem that we're chatting about today. So according to the Government Social Mobility Commission, this is in 2021, 39% of the UK workforce is working class, whereas just 27% of the creative industry is. But there's a new report by the Sutton Trust that says in 2022, it's fallen to 29% across the whole workforce. And now we're down to just a very sad 12% in the creative industries, which is pretty shocking. So I thought maybe we would kind of sense check those statistics a little bit and say, I kind of want to know, is that what everyone has seen? Like how many of your work of your co-workers would you define as working class? Maybe Verity, we could start with you. Yeah, um, it's a hard one. Now I work outside of London. I would say that the um, percentage has probably gone you know, down quite a lot. I knew London was really diverse. I knew a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, but yeah, not so much outside of London. It seems to be my experience. I'm the only Northerner in my team or, you know, sort of people I work with. Someone else, Charlotte, what about you? Yeah, I'd say um, the team I'm currently working is, is uh, I wouldn't say so diverse. I think everyone has come from like a working class background. Um, so we're all sort of the same in the same boat or have had the same experiences like going through our journeys so so I think I'm quite lucky where I work because I work at a media agency in Manchester but I think if I was doing the same job in London there definitely would be a big shortage of people from working class backgrounds and whenever I've kind of gone to London to work I've noticed a big difference in the makeup of the types of people it's slightly different question for you Craig it's, 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 it's different for me. I mean, I, I'm actively, can, or, or I try to be as active as I possibly can, um, aggressive towards the kind of inequalities and imbalances and absolute fucking mess, let's be honest, that the creative industries is in. Um, so I actively hire women. I actually hire minoritised people when I've got the opportunity to take on grads, for example. 
and largely try and sort of do my little bit of what I can and be a, be a good citizen, as it were. But in my experiences, echoing what Lisa was just saying, I think the difficulty to dis- in discussing with this is the kind of overlaps and the kind of intersectional sort of issues and problems. Because it's not just class that's a problem in this, but that's piled on with gender imbalance, that's piled up, uh, massively piled on with like the regional imbalance. And London is such a kind of black hole that's, that swallows up and pulls in so much kind of people, talent, resource, money, all of this kind of stuff gets in there. And that is a massively middle-class kind of playground in, in my experience and in the experiences that I've heard from others. Um, that imbalance is what you see. Because in my experiences outside of London, in Manchester, in Scotland, for example, I think it almost tips the other way. There's still a lot of middle-class brigade are still there and they're still present. Um, but I feel that there's a lot more accessibility from working classes into the creative industries and into creative communities outside of London. So I think it's all it's all kind of intertwined a little bit and that, that's what makes it even you know more problematic and more compounded in my experience. It's really interesting. I was chatting to our rep at Channel 4 and they've just opened a Leeds office. Um, Channel 4 has a little bit of a reputation, doesn't it, of uh, being very privileged in its makeup, but they have said that having an office in Leeds has changed the makeup of the kind of commissioning teams and the people getting jobs there. So I do think regionality is a really big issue and actually solving the problem in London isn't necessarily solving the problem. You've got to make the industry more national. Yeah, totally agree with that. Can I ask Craig about the makeup of your studio and maybe you, I guess you can talk a bit about rough trade, although I don't know how much control you have over, over hiring there. Uh, well, they're both tiny for a start. Um, I am the, I, I guess I am person four of, of four. There's myself. Um, I have Alice Fraser, who's a designer. She's working class from Stockport. Um, I've got Dion Pyrilaga, who was raised in the Philippines, but now lives in Manchester and again comes from a working class background in Barrow. And then I have Ashia Eastwood, who's a project manager. And she's from Manchester. So, and we've got the dog, Aggie, who's from Leyland. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, that, that's kind of the makeup. As I said, I, I, I'm trying always constantly to, you know, confront my own biases, but also practice what I preach because it's no use me getting on my high horse about these things if I then just go and hire in the mirror, which is what a lot of people, I think, do. You know, they, they find people that they get on with that because they see they said that quite a lot i find oh i get on with them really well so it means we're going to do good work and it, it doesn't actually they don't actually mean that really i mean of course that's good but they're not getting challenged by people like them and rough trade is uh nina herve who's the uh director um she's from jersey but uh it definitely comes from a working class background her dad's a farmer there herself and me are kind of the only two people that run it we have people that we rope in to help us with shit that we can't handle which is Nina's husband Will <laughs> uh, and Susanna who helps us and Kate who helps us with press but we're largely all working class people proud of it really. It's quite interesting that we're all in situations where we're surrounded by working class people too and whether there's like a parallel there and like you said people kind of hire the people that they see and as a reflection of themselves and maybe we feel a little bit more comfortable in those environments but I think before we jump into that somebody shared an experience in the NDA DMs and they went to a uni in Newcastle and out of a course of 60 people only three of them were from the kind of surrounding areas everyone else had come from London other affluent areas and Charlotte as our most recent grad I just wanted to ask what the makeup of your course was like. Was it similar to that? No, I don't... Well, I think everyone did come um, from afar, but I feel like in terms of working class, maybe not not as many as I thought or, like, not as many people as uh, were like me, so to speak. So I stayed in Birmingham. Um, I couldn't really afford to, like, move to a far-out university, so I thought staying at home and, like, cutting back costs there would help. So, yeah, like, I don't know, like, I thought more people maybe would work alongside university because I knew I knew from the get-go that was something that I was going to have to do. Um, but not a lot of people did. Um, 
So yeah, I think I had three jobs at the height of, I think it was year two, actually. I had three jobs. I was working about 30 hours on top of university. My tutors were like, why are you working that much? And I was like, I can't survive. Um, so yeah, like they were saying like you can't work that many hours with university. I was like, yeah, but that's not, it's, it's not like a choice. Like it's something I've got to do. And I, and I did, so like in terms of things, some people just weren't working and they were like, university is quite hard. And I was like, I agree. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I was just going to ask, can I ask if anyone's parents knew what the hell they wanted to do when you when you were making your choice to go to university? No, mine didn't. <laughs> I don't come from a creative family. <laughs> my mum's a nurse, my dad's a textile work was a textile worker at the time. So, no, they had no idea. So I, I've often wondered if that was partly, you know, I wondered if that's, I don't know, an obstruction, really. Um and I don't mean this as in your parents holding you back, for example, but maybe like a, a scenario where someone who might not be as confident to sort of stand by their choices. I mean, I used to get a lot of pressure when I wanted to be a designer. No one knew what a designer was. I was just, I didn't really know what a designer was. I was just regurgitating the words that someone had told me what that, that's what I did. And I, f- I felt pretty confident sort of standing by that and I'd really supported parents. But I can imagine a lot of scenarios where not even the parents being supportive, I'm sure that happens a lot, but not being able to articulate what it is you want to do and it being so alien that you can't stand there and go, no, I, I really want to do this thing because I can see a career prospect. And then you get confronted with all that, get a proper job, you know, learn a trade, whatever it is, those kinds of things. I think that's really interesting because I had no idea like about advertising. I think I wanted to work in it because I liked Mad Men. And... I can't remember the start off the top of my head, but there's a brilliant book by um, Sam Friedman called The Class Ceiling, and it has the percentage of people whose parents worked in that industry and for the creative industries, it's really high. And so one, there's that network of people knowing people to get them in the door. And then if they go to an interview, they know what to prep and they know what to ask for, but it just feels like there's no exposure to kind of, I don't remember anyone at school ever talking to me about advertising. Just just to say, I had another DM um, about someone who was talking about the difference between going to kind of private and public school and the emphasis put on art so that you might be doing some of those subjects a little bit earlier and that by the time they got to university, they felt on the back foot a little bit because they had not been pushed to explore their creativity. So it'd be nice, actually, Verity, I know it's a little bit longer since you left uni at the risk of outing you you had a really specific story where you felt the you felt the difference in your background you'd be happy to to chat about it yeah of course yeah so it was 10 years ago 10 years ago that I left uni so it doesn't feel that long but is that long and I was desperate to um go into branding as I think uh, having hired for internships at the moment for my agency it seems to be a really popular sort of choice and I'd uh, at uni obviously you learn about how to put yourself out there where you can you know make a creative CV and really stand out um, the crowd because there's so much competition and so I designed um, without going into too much detail I made like this latex uh, CV which is all about me being flexible and adaptive and anyway so I made this thing and I, I took it to an agency in London and got sort of got the attention of the creative director there and they offered me an internship and I was desperate just so desperate to work for them but the position wasn't paid and there wasn't um you know there there wasn't and this isn't not to say a bad thing about them I just don't think it was particularly maybe the done thing then but it wasn't paid and I was coming from Leeds uni so moving down to London and I I physically didn't have the money to go to London I didn't know anyone there I didn't have any family there I my parents couldn't support me and I wouldn't have asked them anyway but it just couldn't happen so I had to turn it down and I just I think about it a lot because I have still not quite managed to get into branding now because I had to take a job that paid and that was a corporate job and then you know how one job leads to your next job and it's kind of gets harder to if you don't maybe specialize early or at least that's what I've found with mine I'm sort of trying still trying to get in and edge myself in but never never quite managed it and it does make me wonder obviously I do not hang everything on 
you know that one that one part of you know my career but I do it does make me wonder um yeah how it affected things and sort of what my career would look like now if if I'd managed to do it so can I just I think you've hit the you know not the nail on the head because I think there's a lot of nails that need hammering here but um you know money I I don't want to let this agency off the hook because I graduated 12 years ago so I probably take the prize there but when I was doing placements in my second year and third year at university it, it was you know I, I was getting paid and I was asking to be paid because I couldn't do it otherwise and I think you know it's that old saying of you know nine, nine times nine of every ten problems can be solved with money and I think this is definitely one of those where it would help if we were transparent about pay if we were everybody agreed to a kind of a, at least a minimum wage or, or, you know, national living wage for placements and internships and access points into the industry, you would suddenly, I think, people would have much more kind of confidence to go into an opportunity because they know what they're getting paid. They know they can sort of make ends meet in some way or another, or at least they know they're getting some sort of contribution to their expenses and their expenditure in order to make something like that happen. And I think that is massively important mm-hmm. all that you know do you feel are fucking nonsense you know it's like people <laughs> need to contribute financially to this otherwise it's never going to be sold it's only going to be those with money that get access i think it has changed i think i just doing research um you know before this this chat today and i don't know whether you guys have seen it but fiasco who are based in bristol have um been doing a, a an open internship and they you don't need a cv it's fully paid um tr- your travel and accommodation is covered if you live outside of bristol like that is amazing they've recognized that there is a diversity problem a representation problem in the design industry and just again looking on the sort of jobs boards today there's an internship going for dixon baxi there's one going for koto and both of them play the, pay the living wage so I, did, I couldn't see any just sort of from a, a couple of hours that, that were free. So I, I feel like there is, we as an industry, I think have recognised that, you know, there is a problem and I think it is changing. I think people working for free makes me so cross. Um, it just should be banned. Um, but I think it's quite... Um, the thing that makes me more cross, more cross is in all of the industries we're working, that in certain places there is a lot of cash, the CEOs and heads of you business and all of these titles getting paid a ton of money and actually there is money to kind of pay people properly but I also think in the recruitment space as well there's definitely things we can change so um I think law have ironically got quite good at social mobility compared to the creative industries where um they have never been good. And one of the things they do is they fund people to get to interviews so they can don't have the stress of having to get a train into London and actually we give a lot of money to recruitment consultants. It'd be really nice if we just gave some of that money to someone who could get to an interview and maybe get someone brilliant um, along the way. I just think that it should never be acceptable in 2022 to expect people to work for free. Because one, you're not going to get the best talent. You're just going to get the people who can afford to. And I just think it's a bit disrespectful to get people to come and work for free. Definitely. If it's... Um... It should be publicly outed in my opinion. No, I, we're not going to ask you to do that, Bertie, though. Don't worry. <laughs> Craig, Craig would, um, but no, we're not going to ask you to do that. Um, but what I would, I would love to ask you when you look across at some of your peers that you graduated with, who might have come from a slightly different background, and you're kind of following their career. Like, I think you're really brave, right, to come out and basically say, "I think this was a point in my career that." that changed the kind of progression and where I went from there. Do you look across at those other people? Do you feel a little bit of resentment? Like maybe they had a bit of a hand up, maybe they had opportunities that you didn't get given. I think I probably have a specific person in mind who is now working for that agency who uh, I got the internship for. And I wouldn't personally feel any resentment. We were definitely from different backgrounds, but I can't say I knew him sort of well enough to really know sort of what, what, what his background was but I don't feel any resentment per se it's more just like equality for everyone isn't it it's, there's no I don't feel angry about those people who have had those opportunities because obviously that's what I wanted uh but yeah I don't feel resentment 
if it's all right, well, I do want to move on to like social and cultural implications because I think there are lots of those, but it is impossible to avoid talking about like financial limitations when we're t- talking about barriers to the industry. So Charlotte, if you're happy to just chat a little bit about, like I know that you had to maybe take out some loans and kind of finance yourself. Can you just give us a bit of an overview of what it was like to do three years at uni and kind of fund yourself? Yeah, um, it was definitely difficult, um, like especially with the amount of jobs I had um, and like picking and choosing. Like I think a few times I sat in the morning, I'm like, I had a shift starting right after university. That shift would take me to four in the morning. I'd have uni again the next day. And like sometimes I was like, can I get away with missing today at university because I know what I'm doing and I'll just catch up when I can sort of thing. So that them questions did like sort of pass my mind but I did try and go to university as much as I could and you know get what I needed from the course to be like the best designer I could be so I do think that was hard um I also started university with not a great laptop um that I think that really put me at like on the back foot like first year I was on a back foot because um my what's called student loan didn't come free straight away and there was issues with it they told me I can only get a certain amount and I was like I can't live on that because they didn't they didn't do my forms correctly um so I had to wait I think until late October for my funds to come through and obviously you start in September had no laptop um but I had a tutor actually who recognized that I was really struggling and he actually managed to get me a computer my mum and dad and myself obviously never forget that because he put me in a position where I was like actually here we go like I can really focus on my work now like that sort of makes your experience and like I won't forget obviously he was just like such a great tutor and that sort of did put me forward but like at the same time should that have been a tutor who had to do that just so I could you know progress and move forward in my like career and my my studies so so it was just Mm -hmm. it was like living paycheck to paycheck and and student finance to student finance to be honest yeah you talked a bit about the form filling out going haywire. Um, a lot of people say, oh, there are bursaries, you know, they're, like someone might say, oh, there's a bursary for that. You know, you could have gone after the John Hopkins Award or, you know, they're going to sound like John Hopkins or some kind of Reginald type character. But did, was that available? Did you want to do that? How did you feel about that? Yeah, so the, I think there was one that I found because I got I got told try a bursary and I started filling out the forms. They were like, how much debt do you have? How many cards do you have? Can you write a letter explaining why you need money? And I was just like, I, I, I can't like, I don't know. It just felt like I was begging for money. I was begging for help. And I was just like, it, just, it felt a bit degrading, if you know what I mean. And I was just like, I, I can't. Like, I'd rather, I'd rather work more hours, to be honest. I don't know, like, I feel like it should be something that's easier to get. Like, you say, oh, I am struggling. Can I please have some help? Like, I don't feel like I needed to write a letter to say, this is happening at this point. This is how much I'm in the minus here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was difficult. It's pretty, I know. And this is, I think that this is, it's really important. And I'm so um, grateful for you to be so candid, Charlotte, because when did you graduate? Was it last September? Yeah, yeah I think so. Well, congratulations, I think we can still say congrats for that on top of managing all your jobs um, and you're in a junior designer role now. Um, And I think maybe you could, as a little positive, um, I know that you're in a really nice agency um, and you you mentioned something about needing, you mentioned that you maybe needed your paycheck early or something. Um, Yeah, so I feel like I'm at the type of a company who sort of like understands that sometimes if you need a bit of extra not not extra sorry but like what you've earned early and like you know I've got a boss really understanding of that um which is always nice I, I think he without saying too much obviously um he grew up in a pub like again it just sounds like working class pub so I think he understands where you're coming from which is always nice I think it's nice to work with people who understand the struggle <laughs> definitely highlights the importance of having more you know more diverse people in senior positions where we can really try and make a difference totally because I guess Craig and Lisa when you when you kind of first went into industry who were your role models who were you looking at and thinking they've had a really similar journey to me our um, MD who is our regional MD has always been really inspiring to me so she is is 
um, from Cleckeaton, which is near Huddersfield and was very proudly Northern. And I always had loads of great Northern people to look up to when I first started who you could see were kind of doing really well and had created this career for had, had created this career so Emma was always amazing and you kind of saw this kind of northern um sass there um that I always really liked so I, th- I think where I worked I was in a really lucky position that there was really good role models but I know that there's probably a lot of agencies where you go in and I could imagine if I'd have gone in them I would have felt really out of depth and not seen people who spoke like me or talked like me in a lot of places there aren't those role models or people feel really feel really different um that feel really different to you which I think for young people going into the industry can be quite scary I think for me I mean I have to sort of I have to come clean I think I'm ashamed of my behavior when I was sort of younger and, and graduating and then lucky enough to get get roles as junior designers because I just used to look around and see all these white middle-class people and think I look up to I looked up to everyone because I was just like they're they're dead living what I want to be and I was so insecure in who, who I was in my background that I'd just look at them and, and emulate that. So I'd be like, I mean, I'm, I know I'm sat here wearing a black T-shirt, but that was like, that was one of the uniforms, you know. Oh, you have to wear a black T-shirt. You have to get some, you know, sort of personality specs or shoes. All of these kind, you know, I have to like design furniture. I have to eat posh lunches from prep, you know, all this kind of shit. But I, I genuinely believed it. I genuinely remember thinking, well, they know they, they, they're doing it. Maybe that's how I need to be if I want to be a good designer. And it took me years to sort of, as I was going through that, not being myself, kind of ignoring these these internal kind of tensions and monologues that you have where you're just not happy. Because you, you're not yourself, you're not happy. And I, and I think I'm ashamed that I let that happen before I had that realisation where I just thought, why actually me coming from somewhere else, having a different background, gives me a different perspective, therefore gives me better, well, not better, but it gives me different ideas, it gives me different points of views on things, it gives me different principles, and that is ultimately when you put that in the mix. And all if everyone has a different background and comes armed with something different, that is what we always talk about when we're romanticising about creativity being this fucking feral thing that we can't, you know, control. And, oh, if, if you take loads of stuff in and all of this, you know, all that shit that everybody says... <laughs> That, they, why don't they build their teams like that? They yeah, talk and talk and so talk true. about ideas and creativity being this, the more coming in means you, your ideas are better, they're more rounded, and yet they all hire fucking middle-class white people. It's so true. And then it? wonder why the work looks the same. Yes. Yeah, so so I, I, that was my kind yeah. of upbringing. I, I didn't really have, the only kind of people I used to look up to was when I was in London, feeling this kind of pressure, feeling this kind of, unpleasant tension, having the piss taken out of my accent, having the piss taken out of things that I, I really enjoyed and, and wondering, oh, fuck, it's, I'm the problem here, not them. It was it was people that weren't doing that, that, that lived in Manchester, that lived in Birmingham, that lived outside of this place where I felt so isolated, I felt so alien. And it was only when I got out of there and I had a bit of perspective that I actually realised, oh, all right, I could you know, get a sandwich from Greg's and it'd be all right, you know, whatever that was. <laughs> Just, Dandelion and Burdock, that was the one I whatever was... Whatever makes you happy. Absolutely hammered. <laughs> Hello, Greg. I used to get hammered for drinking Dandelion and Burdock. But it's so true of the creative industries, isn't it? There's two things. One, there's so much evidence to suggest that when you have class diversity, you get better work. Like if you look at the iconic advertising campaigns, like in the 70s and 80s, you had working class talent in there. If you look at New York, when they were the golden age, they had... Um, there's a really brilliant Dave Trott article about the people from like the Bronx that worked there. But we are like this culture. I went to a conference the other week ago and it was it was in a quite hilarious place that everyone got lost from. And everyone joked that when they got lost, they just followed people with a certain type of outfit. You could like follow people with the Adidas trainers or the, the certain outfit. And it was quite ironic that we claim to be an advertising industry, but we're all dressed the same. Like it's so ridiculous. Some of the norms and the ways that people behave that people coming in think that they have to behave like, I mean, it's ridiculous. It, It just breeds this weird monoculture. You know, and that's that was one of the things I hated about London, and I'm not going to hijack everything on that. But it's like it's it's set up. It's like a tourist town. Do you know what I mean? It's it's like oh, you go to the theatre, or you go to the fucking watch a musical, or whatever. And it's the same thing on on all the, at the same time. It's not 
as like rich as everyone says it is. Do you know what I mean? There's just there is this massive swell of the same shit happening all the time, and that's so, just a monoculture that, that just breeds the same stuff. What so, What are the things? No, no, you're all good. You're all good. It's it's this is the point. It's all good stuff. It's like the elephant in the room. It's accent. Is that the thing that makes you stand out? And how have people reacted to your to your accents? I I have definitely had people um, take the mick out of my Yorkshire accent, and it is definitely softer now. Like it's when I say certain things that you hear the Yorkshire twang, and it probably has through where I worked on that. But if you, I think there's something really interesting if you look at the stats of the. Um, the ad industry, the people who are the most middle, the, the departments that have the most middle class people in are the client facing roles. Like there seems to be this perception that if you have a certain accent, you're more palatable in front of clients, that people will respect you more. And it is unusual to have like different accents, which is a real shame because I love an accent. I think it makes people more interesting, but I think accent is definitely one of the biggest I was going to say visual, it's not a visual, the biggest things that's accessible to people that, that you hear about. And I've heard people say, I actually felt like I really needed to hide my accent or change the way I talked or speak in a certain way. There's that You hear people who've been told that they can't go to client meetings unless they talk in a certain way. And it is, it's ridiculous. But if you think about some of the other things you would never not publicly say of, oh, I'm not sending her to that meeting because she's a woman, you never say it. So it seems it's really bad that people think that they can do it with accent an easy way to sort of make you feel different like I've had my accent taken the piss out of my whole career and mine's not even that strong really but just when you say something like you know uh you're gonna sit, go sit on the grass outside like it's just instantly that thing and it and it's it's just a really easy thing to take the piss out of and I, I like for me personally you know I sort of joined in you know because I can't I don't think I can really get too annoyed about it, really. But on principle, thinking about it deeper is sort of a, a bigger problem that you you don't sound like everyone else. You do sound different. Well, I mean, it's like you, you said, sort of stand out as if it was a good thing. And I, I don't want to stand out. I don't, I don't want to be made to be feel like that. But unfortunately, when you talk like I do, it's, it's pretty hard not to as soon as you open your mouth. That's it. And I, I just, I don't know, you, you sort of said, Verity, you know, you don't, you don't want to get too angry about it. I found it, it, it wears me down more than anything else. Um, I, I take it really, I don't take it really personally and I get really like angry and aggressive with people. But if I'm in London or if, if, if I'm somewhere where they don't, might not have a strong accent, like regionally maybe, people just repeat words to me all the time. And I find it so patronising and I find it so undermining and it makes me feel insecure about myself. And the joining in for me is like almost like a defence mechanism against it where I don't, I, I don't want to accept that. I don't want to get into an argument with them about their accent because I, I just don't want to play, you know, fight fire with fire in that sense. But for me, I just I find it, it's the worst thing. I find it so insulting when people do it. I don't understand why, because they'd never say it about anything else. I've tried to turn it into something that I can use for the better, tried to. Like with clients and stuff now, I, you know, I don't try and change my accent like I used to. And I'll just use my sense of humour and my accent and my sort of my attitude as like a strength as opposed to me feeling myself like I am, I don't fit in or anything. So I've tried to sort of reclaim it, but it is hard when you're the only one that sounds like you do and sort of yeah also has the same sort of life experiences there's not that many people I know who grew up pretty poor um that I work with so I've tried to turn it into a good thing but it's hard sometimes yeah because it's not it's, I think it needs to be said that it's not you know just because you've got an accent doesn't make it automatically working class it, it, it denotes a place where you come from but uh, or, or how your parents talk or how, how you've can, you know, the people around you in your community that you've grown up within. But ultimately, if you're super wealthy and you and you come from Yorkshire and you're on half of the county, for example, <laughs> people won't won't ever speak about your accent. No. It's a thing that they, it's a thing I find an insecurity that middle class people find that they think that's one thing that they can they can a chunk they can take off us um, when when they want to sort of establish the hierarchies. Uh, it's just, like you say, it's an easy thing to take the piss out of. So they try it. 
There was, wasn't there, when Angela Rayner was having a debate with Boris Johnson and they had the whole thing about her legs being out. They they made a comment in the news about her accent and the way that she spoke, which is ironic because she's way more articulate and lands a point much better than Boris Johnson. But it's like an easy thing for people to latch onto that you you read about so often people saying it's, yeah, it's quite scary actually how much it is used. And I don't think until you are aware of it, you notice that it's happening as much. What are those, what are like other cultural codes um, that feel a little bit unsaid or unspoken that you kind of tripped over? So that could be like social situations that we've been in with the kind of top of the industry um, or even in work, like references, people in the DMs are saying things like their cultural references are really different to other people in the, in the studio. And they might say this idea is based on this example of TV or, and you know, like, I don't know, Emmerdale's a good example or something and other people in the studio don't, don't know it. So has anyone got any stories about those moments in, in their career? There is. Um, so the Common People group that I co-founded, we've had a, a whole raft of people sharing, probably similar to your DMs, things that have been said to them, whether that's taking the piss out of their drink of choice on a night out, um, laughing at people not knowing what certain food choices are. Um, I think that there's a really alien thing in our industry about like how much free drink there is socializing. Like, I remember that being really weird to me when you went out and in one of my first few weeks at um, a media agency, a media owner took us out. There was a thing on a barge. And one, I remember being really unsure of whether you could drink alcohol or not, but everyone else seemed to be doing it. And I was like, oh, do we have to pay for this? How does it work? But also nursing a bottle of Corona all night because I didn't know whether it was acceptable to do it. Like, I think there's so many weird, like, cultural things that happen that we never think to explain to people, like oh, you know that when we go to this thing, it's free, so don't panic about the fact that you'll have to pay for stuff or we'll take clients out for dinner. And, like, I've never been to, like, places that I go to with clients for food um, to do that. I also would never have usually – I would never usually have said going out for dinner. I'd have been, like, where are we off for tea? Like, it is just a really weird set of things that we do that are, that are quite alien Um Jed, who I co-founded Common People with, shared two stories that I'm sure he won't mind me sharing about how when he went out for his first like mini meeting, he he didn't he said dolphin nose potatoes and not dolphin was potato. I'm not even convinced I can say it properly now. Um, but also um, at an event, the assumption um, that because he was the working class guy there, he would know how to get drugs. And two people asked him if they could go and get him drugs, one because of his accent and one because he looked a little bit rough. So I've never faced any of those like really awful things myself. But there's so many horror stories of people of doing it. And even just things that might not even be meant with malice. Um a lot of people, when they worked in agency in London, kept getting asked where they were skiing that year, as though it was a normal thing that every single person would go skiing as part of the holiday. Like, it is quite insane, some of the things that people are saying to people. I, I, I agree. I think it's like every cultural point that you have in your life, in your, in your very existence, denotes a lot about you and is another point of where these things start to separate you know, like where you live, for example, you know, where you choose to live, even if you live in London, like which part of London you live in, you'll be judged on on that, you know, like how you get to work, what you wear to work, what you eat when you're there on lunch, you know, even just like what you're into, like what music do you watch, uh, listen to, what films do you watch, what TV programs do you watch, where do you go on holiday, you know, all of, all of those things, if, if you say... The, the answer if you if you tell them your answer and it's not what they're expecting to hear or not within their frame of reference suddenly that that's it that's another thing that gets hit you that you get hit with and I see every single one of those all the time from through my education through industry and even now you know I still get them all the time you reminded me Lisa of when I first moved to London and I'd never heard of quinoa before. see I can't even say it properly now quinoa now <laughs> Because I was going around like canoa because it was this really interesting thing, but I do still so embarrassing, but not Google. my fault. <laughs> I still do Google things on men on menus. We had like um, a lunch last week, and I had to pre-order, and I was googling certain words, and then obviously not reading them properly and spelling them incorrectly. Because I was like, I'm not entirely sure what this is. It's so weird. I don't. I'd ask if I had a question about work, I'd ask someone. But it's weird that I wouldn't ask someone about something on a menu that's so trivial and so unimportant. I'm going to just 
jump topics slightly um, to another story that NDA had in the DMs. A really, really lovely designer um, reached out and told a story about a branding project that they were briefed on for social housing. I'll just keep it really vague. Um, Yeah, so it's kind of about social housing and it was branding and naming. And there was a lot of tension inside the team, some really kind of poor decision-making from senior leadership, the kind of uh, junior or more working-class members of the team pushing back, saying that that's kind of going to hit the wrong note and, you know, really that kind of feeling of disjointed and, and feeling out of touch. I just thought it was kind of really interesting. Is it important to have different class backgrounds on a project? And is it vital when the audience is the kind of ordinary folk of the UK or the kind of the general public, I guess? In advertising, we're advertising products that are mass market that are for the majority of the population. So you definitely should have people in the team that understand that and research properly with that target audience and 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 do it otherwise you won't get to that there's so many examples isn't there not just with class but with other things like race where people have mixed the mark just because they've not done the homework or also just haven't um haven't um seeked other perspectives um it's not necessarily a class example but the Tesco food love stories ramadan campaign that they did this year which had out of home adverts that what was on the plate changed dependent on the time of the day as sunset went down and it got kind of universally applauded and the reason it got universally applauded is they actually um worked with a diversity consultant um and people in that consultancy who were from a muslim background who understand it who could offer their advice like we should just be that should be the same as class we should be thinking about that more often I mean, a supermarket, yeah, you need to get it right from a corporate point of view. But particularly for things like social housing, where it's so important you get it right, it just it just feels like it's not doing your due diligence to do that. It's just good practice, isn't it? I mean, it's just, well, it's best practice, basically. I mean, you're not going to gain any insights unless you have, you know, personal experiences in whatever it is you're trying to do. Otherwise, you're just enforcing your taste onto somebody. Yeah. What about us all coming straight out of the gates and working on a, I don't know, £500 a bottle whiskey brand or ski holiday, you know, the kind of picturing it the opposite way around, I guess, when you get first get into agency and a brief is something that you've never experienced or can't relate to at all? I mean, my first job, I worked for uh, one of the biggest estate agencies that we, you know, we used to do I don't know, millions of pounds worth of work and I was working on designing bids for it and just had no idea what I was doing had no idea what even what this what the amount of money was or all these sort of directors I was working with as as lovely as most of them were just was just so alien to me and I just I understood it to an extent because I worked really hard to try and understand the subject subject matter but I didn't have any frame of reference um but like, I think it works both ways. You know, if, if we were working on a brief where it was something I didn't understand, then again, we, you know, have valuable opinions just as sort of, you know, they would have a frame of reference, I suppose. And I, it works, very much works both ways. But it was quite intimidating for me personally, being around all these people who were experts. And I was just this little, little, I say little girl, because I'm short, um, little girl from Halifax <laughs> uh, who... <laughs> didn't know anything about big chalets or big houses um yeah but it was interesting to learn about it but didn't really feel a part of it cool so we're going to get into our final couple of questions this is a pretty broad one how can we make internships more accessible let's go for one point each money (laughs) sorry to steal your point but i agree money 100 percent. like pay for work be paid for the work you do obviously money but I think also when you have internships um making sure there is people in the organization who have time to work with people that you're employing and develop them and be there for them really and help them navigate what could be their first time in an industry like that um and kindness as well money um and transparency I guess I'm going to be mean and say Verity, 
I'm going to ask you to find another one. So you can have money, um, <laughs> but especially if you think back to that, think back to that internship, what would you have liked from them? I guess when you said to them, I can't, I can't do it if you're not going to pay me, what would you have liked to have heard from them? I think, yeah, I think just having, maybe having someone, and I don't know the ins and outs of who worked there then, but I feel like if you had someone like me, who was one of the senior people who had come from a similar background, they would think, right, there's, there's something we need to do here. Like we can't just hire people whose parents can afford to support them in London. And I'm sure maybe people thought that, but my other point as well as money would be to have yeah people in senior positions who really take it upon themselves to 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 change this because it is it's within all our powers to to make this better you know I'm heading up the our sort of intern thing for my team and it's really important that we're obviously paying at the living wage but also geographically we're not they can work anywhere they can work from anywhere it doesn't matter if they can't travel in or afford to and you know, that's that's really important for, you know, getting those people. So it's definitely something I will make sure that is something I really focus on when I get to like creative director level, because I think that's that's a way we can all contribute to making it better. Totally. I'm just going to add a really, um, a really lovely tweet that we had on NDA, which I thought was great, which is we're in a good position at the moment where agencies are starting to surface their statistics around some very brave talking about pay, uh, others servicing gender split across teams and race. But their suggestion was we should start servicing statistics of who, like people's backgrounds. Um, so I thought that was a great one just to add in to the mix. Um, and then final question, which might put everyone on the spot a bit. I'll start with you, Lisa. Are you working class now? And how do you feel if you wouldn't class yourself as working class anymore, how does that make you feel? Oh, I think it's really tricky because class is so nuanced. I definitely will always think I am working class and I'm very proud of being from that background. Um, there's definitely things I do now that I wouldn't have ever thought about doing then. Brunch with avocado is one of them. Um, <laughs> and I, th I do think we have to acknowledge that as we go into jobs where you might get like paid all right and you get exposed to stuff you do change but I think it's really important that if you are from a working class background then you should earn it and talk about it and share it with pride because people don't do that and I think it's really important for young people um coming into the industry to see that and think that they can be who they are um I did a talk at Bloom Fest a few weeks ago and got a tweet from someone who said it's just so good it's just so nice to hear people with accents like mine um so I think we should hold on to our accents as much as we can and earn our working class backgrounds um but also acknowledge that sometimes we get a bit caught up and really like avocado on toast and um, a really nice pink wine <laughs> uh Verity are you working class I would say very similar to Lisa to be honest I'm not um anymore because yeah I, I am <laughs> in here but I'm actually not out here in my life particularly like I live in the Cotswolds you can't get any more middle class than that and I recognize <laughs> that but at, at the same time I'm like so proud of where I came from and you know I'd never pretend to be anything other than what I am and where I came from because it it is it does make me you know, a more well-rounded designer in my, or creative, in my opinion. And, you know, just recognising that um, and owning it. Yeah, not apologising for it, which I do a lot. Sorry. Uh, my um, pal Mia wrote a really brilliant piece. <laughs> A piece called are you having a class crisis and she talked about uh, loving a fancy food but also really enjoying fish fingers and waffles and beans for a tea and I've never felt more kind of seen as I read that article I was like oh that's me <laughs> yeah I mean class traitor you know it's it's difficult isn't it I mean you can make you can make arguments of what on the one hand this and the other hand that but ultimately I think I don't know, I remember reading somewhere that working class people get showered after work and middle class people get showered before it. And I think ultimately that rules us all out, probably. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's difficult because I think working class isn't necessarily assigned to an industry anymore. And I mean that in a broader kind of systematic thing, not just, you know, jobs. It was always, it was a, it was a certain kind of, 
industry that you were always aligned to, and I don't think we have that anymore, but I will always identify as working class because that is definitely how I was raised. That's definitely where I come from. And that's definitely the values and principles that I live my life by. I just may earn more, you know, perhaps more money than my parents did, and I live in a different area. But ultimately, I can't ever let go of that person, and I can't ever not be seen as representing that kind of class because I think it's really important for people to see people from different classes, from different genders, from minoritised communities, they have to be seen and be present for other people to then see themselves doing that. And I think that's fundamentally important, no matter how you, you know, whatever circumstances your life might in, you might be, leave the gate open behind you as you walk through and let other people in. Lovely. So I just want to say that thank you so much, everyone, for being so candid about a topic that's complex, like you said, and it's layered. So many people have got in touch about this episode And I think the common theme that ran through all these messages was this feeling of not belonging. Um, So I guess I just want to say that I hope today makes you feel like you absolutely belong in these spaces. All these people here absolutely belong. Everyone belongs on NDA. You can come on anytime. There are a lot of resources about working class creatives. And just obviously Lisa's mentioned common people. Absolutely go and check that out. The other thing I would say is the Working Class Creatives database is amazing. And jump off this podcast, jump straight onto another one. Aidan Toplitsky's whole podcast is about interviewing working class creatives. It's brilliant. Um, So please go and check that out. And on that note, I'd say that this is a wrap. Uh, You've all been such legends and I really appreciate everything you've shared today. Um, So thank you. Which brings us to the end of the episode. So if you made it all the way to here, thank you. A couple more asks from me. If you could hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, then you're not going to miss out on all the episodes that are coming up. We're talking about things like salary, promotions, design awards. It's going to be juicy. The other thing you can do is leave us a review, which actually makes a massive difference. So let us know what you think of this episode. And if you want to be involved or actually just know someone who would be really good, you can always jump into our DMs, recommend them at the NDA podcast on Twitter and Insta. The absolutely banging soundtrack is by Jamie Alul and Toby McLaren. We're trying to be as accessible as possible here. So all our episodes are recorded remotely. So no one needs to shell out for equipment or transport costs. We're also uploading everything to YouTube with closed captions. So that's there if you need it. If you need anything else in order to kind of listen to us and hear the content, then please just let me know. Finally, a personal thank you to Katie from Creative Boom, James from Be Heard for just answering all my emails and my incessant questioning in starting this podcast. I'm Katie Cadwell. This is NDA. Catch ya. Thank you.